I want to talk to you today about Holy Spirit, unite my heart. Unite my heart. And you can put that up. I'd like to show you all something uh, that I found very helpful as I was thinking about the subject. As I was reading Psalm 86. Take a minute to try to read that yourself and then I'll read it for those of the visually impaired. So you got two people there. You've got Peppermint Patty on the left, the tomboy girl, and then you've got Charlie Brown who's taking her phone call. She really likes Charlie Brown, actually. Apparently, I'm learning. Um, And so she calls Charlie Brown and she says, I'm having trouble in school again, Chuck. Do you have any suggestions? Charlie Brown says, do your homework. Don't sleep in class and never try to give a report on a book you haven't read. And her response is, I hate talking to you, Chuck. And I hate talking to you, Chuck. And there's just a divided heart there. It's a simple, funny little example, little illustration, how our hearts are when we talk to the Lord. God, I have this problem. God, there's this struggle. God, there's this need. There's this thing I'm coming to you with. And he speaks to us. And our responses can be, even if we don't verbalize it, man, I don't want to hear that. That's not what I wanted from you. And what it reveals in my own heart is the division in my heart, that battle of Romans 7, that struggle between this old life, the lust of this flesh, and this new life that is created in the image of God and wants to live for God, and how there can be this battle, and how the Lord is in there with us. So I want to read from you today, with you today from Psalm 86. I'm going to put the scriptures up. I read out of the ESV, um, and, you know, read your version, that's great, but if you have trouble reading along and hearing me say different words, I'm putting it up there so that you can, it can be very easy for you to follow along. Uh, It should be ESV. I'm just going to read it then, because that's in a different version, but it says, incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Preserve my life. For I'm godly. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you do I cry all the day. Gladden the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my plea for grace. In the day of my trouble, I call upon you, for you answer me. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord, my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. David is a soul crying out for help. He's a desperate man. When you read Psalm 86, you can't come away from this thinking anything else other than David is weak. David cannot make it on his own. David has no strength And he is trusting in no one, least of all himself, not another false god, but God alone in heaven to be his help. 
I'm poor, I'm needy, I cannot save myself, but you can. You can save me. You can help me. And I believe you will. I really believe you will, God. This is someone who sinned against God. He's, he's not in this perfect standing because of his own actions. He's not a man who has, is coming to God braggadociously saying, I have fasted this many times in the week and I have memorized this many scriptures and I've given this many gospel tracts or bags to the poor on the corners of Baton Rouge. I've not done this in Jerusalem. He says in verse 5, you are a God who forgives. You are a God who forgives. He's saying, I need your forgiveness. You are faithful to to those who trust in you. I'm praying to you. I'm calling to you. In the day of my trouble, I call upon you, it says in verse 7, for you answer me. I'm not just hoping you're a God who hears. I have history with you. I've called upon you in the past. I've repented to you before. You heard me then. And I'm clinging to that and saying, I know that you will hear me now because I'm desperate. You've done it before. You'll do it again. You'll do it now. In the day of my trouble, I call upon you for you answer me. If you were here this past Wednesday, we were having our, uh, our Thanksgiving service. We were recounting all that God has done. And God says elsewhere in the Psalms, call upon me in the day of trouble and you will glorify me. Isn't that amazing? That in the days that we have called upon God, even when we suffer trouble of our own construction, think about that. When we called to no other God, when we looked to no other help, and we said, you alone are God, come and be with me, and I with you, we were glorifying God in heaven, and he received it as worship. That is amazing. We have a God that is better than we give him credit for. We have a king who is mightier than we can fathom. Oh, if we would just remind ourselves in our most desperate times of the goodness we have tasted, we would come to him with open arms saying, Abba, Father, here I am. I need you for X, Y, and Z, whatever the need. Whatever the situation, not just for sin, because we need him and we are not self-sufficient. We are God-dependent every single day. I'm praying to you. I'm calling to you. You are good and forgiving, abounding and steadfast love to all who call upon you. I am thankful that God's love is steadfast because if anyone has taxed his love to the limit... I feel like I have in so many ways. Uh, how, I mean, I think we can all feel that way. The many times we have run to the same thing again and again or not given him the, the, the worship or the credit do his name again and again as he waits for us to finally come to our senses, speaking to us and drawing us to himself. He is filled with steadfast love. Believer, you have never taxed his love to the limit. The rope has not run out on his emotions and his affections for you. They are steadfast. That is why he calls himself a husband. And we are his bride. That is why he says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. Because his love is a steadfast, never-ending, no-dead-end kind of love. I'm calling to you, God.
And then David begins to exult and to praise God. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord. Y'all remember Dagon? This is during the time of uh, Saul. This is during the time of uh, of David, or time of the, or just before that, in the time of the judges, and the ark of God is captured and it is brought into the temple of Dagon, and Dagon has fallen down, and they they go in and they lift him up. He falls down again, and then his hands and his head, his power and his might have been broken off. You are good, God. In Isaiah, I love this. God says this that the, the man who fashions. The idol, he carves it out, he makes it out of the stump of wood, and with the leftover wood, he takes that, he chops it up, and he heats up his dinner on it, not realizing that the thing he's bowing down to is the thing that he's using to burn up the food that is going to go in and come out. His God is nothing but the making of his own hands. But you, God, there is none like you among the gods who splits the Red Sea, who returns to the people that you have made a covenant with in spite of their rebellion, in spite of their sin. You show yourself good and you bring them to a place of repentance and you help them to walk with you. Nor are there any works like yours. The hands of God alone have made the heavens. It is not by chance. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you. It is an exciting thought. I, I, I pray it would cheer our hearts to imagine the loud noise around the the throne of God, of every tongue, of every tribe, of every language that could exist, worshiping God. For they are his creation, and he is worthy of it. He's a worthy king, the king of the nations. They're going to worship before you, Lord. They may not now, but they will one day, and they shall glorify your name. You are great. You do wondrous things. You alone are God. So even in this cry for help, even before perhaps he's feeling the deliverance of this, before he is even perhaps feeling the emotions of it, whatever the case, even in his need, he finds time, not because necessarily he feels it, but because God is worthy to lift up his voice, to sing the psalm to him, to praise him. And believer, I want to encourage you to do that as well. Even as our brother Noah is encouraging us today, even when the waters are over our head, They are under his feet. Even whenever you have perhaps wrecked things, your your spiritual life perhaps has become decrepit like an old home. Termites have come in. They've begun to eat things. The little foxes that spoil the vines. Lift up your head to the one who is greater than you. Stop wallowing. Look to the one who is God. Look to the one who is faithful. He does great and wondrous things. And then he kind of comes in here. He comes in here and he centers in on verse 11, which is where I really want us to be encouraged today. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. It was that division of heart that even led me to this place of doing whatever it was that made David need forgiveness of sins. Whatever that was, it was my division of heart from you, God, that led to this. I not only look for your forgiveness, I'm not only praising you, but I'm saying repair the breach that is inside of the seat of my will, my emotions, and my affections. Because if I can live out of this united place, I will fear you. I will love you. I will walk with you. I will honor you. 
Because you're the only one who can do it. I love some of the preaching of the old time preachers. But some of them can be very hard. Or we can take some of their messages and we can become very hard and legalistic. I'm reminded of David Wilkerson, a mighty man of God, a wonderful man of God. But when he came to the revelation of the grace of God and the new covenant of God, he said, get rid of all my old messages. Don't publish them anymore. Because of the way I lived and preached, that was actually somewhat legalistic. But he came to the place where he began to rest and trust in the power and in the grace, the ability of God. He didn't necessarily preach different doctrine, but the way he preached it, the power and the freedom in which he lived, the way that the effort and and the work was not placed on the believer, live right, unite your heart. But the agreement with David that says, teach me your way that I may walk in your truth, unite my heart. Come down from heaven, come to my heart, because I don't have the ability to do it. You unite it. What does that take? What kind of a miracle does that take? I don't know, God, but what I do know is you, the one where there's no God like you, the one where there's no works or wonders like you, come and do it. Come and do it in me. And so we're being invited in here to God, not a God who reprimands, but teach me, unite my heart to fear you. That I might walk with you. Not in the kind of fear that Martin Luther before he was saved dealt with. This I hate God because his wrath is always upon me. And I fear his judgment and his holiness. But the fear of my God you are good. You are the God and the heavens wonder of wonders you are. The self-existent being. I want to live in your light. I don't want to sin against you. I love you. And you are God. And judgment does start at the house of the Lord. But my goodness, grace starts at the house of the Lord. Amen? These things meet. He is not the either or God. He is the both and God. He is not the loving or the just God. He is the loving and the just God. He is not the one who has wrath or mercy. He has wrath and mercy. He is this kind of a God. Unite my heart to fear you. The end goal is the fear of God, not a fright. I just want to reiterate, but a love and a holy devotion fueled by the Holy Spirit of God, by the Holy Spirit of God. We have need of a teacher. He said, teach my heart, teach it. Also, in many times, perhaps we have put God wants to teach us, and he is devoted to us. And I just want to say this. The Holy Spirit is the heaven-sent teacher. He is the teacher. Whenever David is saying, teach my heart, we have that greater and fuller revelation. Go with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 14. The Gospel of John, chapter 14, verses 25 to 27. Jesus Now remember, this is the last night. This is the last night before he goes to the crucifixion. John chapter 13 to the end of the book, the end of that gospel is the end of Christ's life. 
So when we read it in that context, Jesus has washed the feet of his disciples. He foretells the denial of Peter. And then he begins to comfort them and give them these last instructions to their lives. And he encourages them and he says this in John 14, 25 to 27. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to to your remembrance all that I have said to you. There is a helper. His name is the Holy Spirit. He is God. He is sent by the Father in the name of Christ to teach and to remind. Believer, you have a teacher. I praise God for good Bible teachers. I praise God that he uses that. And and anyone who says, all I need is the Holy Ghost in the Bible, knows nothing of the church of God in the book of Ephesians and Corinthians all that God has expressed in the fivefold ministry, the need for every single member, the one part supplying what is necessary to the next joint. You are not an island, and if you live so, well, you're marooned. If you live on an island, you will be marooned, and there are no supplies coming, so never do that. But our ultimate teacher is the Holy Spirit. He is not a teacher, which is what we can be to one another. He is the teacher, that definite article, the teacher, the teacher. He is the one that we look to. He is our divine helper, the one we don't deserve, but the one that we are eternally grateful for. He comes to lift up Jesus and to teach us all things. He comes to give us peace. Jesus said that, verse 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Why? I'm sending you the Holy Spirit to be with you and to teach you. Christ had walked with his disciples for all of these months and for these years. And he's saying, I'm not leaving you alone. They had gone to him constantly. Jesus, what did you mean by that? What do you think about this? You know, he had been questioned. A man did this and they did that. And this woman had seven husbands and all these challenges, all of these riddles, all of these things. And his disciples would constantly come to him saying, Jesus, can you tell us about this? We have a helper and his name is the Holy Spirit of God. You could maybe say, man, I wish Jesus was right there next to me. Well, God himself is within you. I forget that constantly unite my heart to fear you and to walk in this realization that you're not somewhere there in heaven and I'm trying to pull you down. You're within, seeking to commune with this new life I have within me, the Holy Spirit, with my new born-again spirit, this relationship to have. Jesus would go on and he would tell us about this teacher Remember, our our verse is, teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. Jesus said in John 16, verse 12, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it 
to you. The Holy Spirit comes to reveal Christ and to speak all that is God's to our lives. If we're looking for a teacher to unite our hearts to fear God, don't just go dig up an old Clendenin sermon. Don't just go listen to soldiers because it's real good. Fantastic message, right? Don't just go listen to these things of these old timers or the modern people who can preach real hard as if that is going to somehow beat your heart into submission. Because let me tell you, if anyone had the self-will and the power to do that and to live right for God and unite their own heart, it would have been Paul. It would have been Paul. But Paul said this, I am what I am by the grace of God. I labored more than they all. I cooperated with God's grace. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which is in me. Everything that I am, all the letters, the unity of my heart, the living in the spirit, it's all because God himself came to me and expressed all that God was, is, is to me. And it imparted it into my life. He taught me in the heart. Now listen to this. Some people will think that the teaching of God has to bypass the brain and go straight to the heart. Hearing, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now it should go beyond the mind, but it doesn't neglect the mind. And that is why a person who is blind, a person who is deaf, has to be taught some way to hear the words of God, even if they are by braille. Because somehow that message has to get into this gray matter. That's the way that God's made it. But once there, the Holy Spirit quickens the word into the heart that bypasses all the arguments. And so the mind and the heart work together. And though that mind might be blinded and lostness, the ears hear the gospel. And the knife of the word of God comes in and goes down into the heart and they are gripped by God. So don't deny your mind. But don't let the teaching of God just rest there. Let it descend down here. Because this is where we speak from. This is where we live from. He said that. He, teach me. Teach me in my heart. Let my heart be united to fear your name. And don't be afraid of the teaching of God. I want to encourage you here. Those of you who may feel desperation and discouragement, or you just need to be reminded of the things you already know that just, they're like a mirror sometimes, and they get a little bit of dust on them, and you just need to have that dust wiped off, and you're like, oh yeah, of course. I pray that God would do this. Jesus said this, my sheep hear my voice. You are not so dull. You are not some special case. You know, we, we like to throw a pity party you know, my party this is my party and I can cry if I want to. Sometimes I think it's like, this is my sin or this is my hardness of heart and I can mope and whine if I want to. And we just glorify and mope in our depression and we're like, I'll never be better. I'll never live for God. Who do you think you are? Do you really think you're that special? Do you really think you're that good at being bad? Like really, do you think that's who you are? Stop and away with that garbage. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. The real question is, are you his sheep? Can you harden your heart? Oh, absolutely. 
Can you, can you muddy your spiritual eyes? Can your heart become divided? Yes, of course. But my question is, is Jesus' voice and the power and the penetrating power of his voice dependent upon you? Or is he powerful in himself because he is God? And from him, he is able to do all that is necessary for you to hear him. I'll never learn. I'm not saying learning is memorizing 20 scriptures in a year. What we're being told here is it's this unity of heart. It's just knowing him. It's just loving him. It's when that thing comes to me. You've knit my heart together in such a way that I don't even have to go to steps four and five on my descent of 10 steps to the sin. Because I love you and I fear you and you've done this work within me. I flee from it and I run from it. How did this happen? God united my heart. He did the work. He united my heart to fear him. Why aren't you living in bondage to this thing anymore? He, he came in. How? I can't explain it. I just know the one that, that, that David called out to, the Holy Spirit. He came in and he united my heart to fear him. I want to cheer you on and say, you can hear his voice. Don't make it more difficult than it needs to be. The spirit of truth, he is a faithful and an active teacher. Constantly speaking to us. Sometimes we just don't see it. Sometimes we just don't hear it. When you walk outside on a clear night and you see the moon and you see those beautiful stars and your heart rejoices to the Lord, you think that's just because you like the night sky? No, it's because the creator himself. If you belong to him, your father, he's wanting to draw you aside for that moment. You mean God can even unite my heart just by being with him in worship? Of course. That's what this choir of praise is. Here I am. Unite my heart to fear you by being with him by loving him, by spending time with him, by even being quiet and just playing worship music and letting and just saying, God, here I am, here I am. We are allowing him to come in in that moment to unite our hearts to fear him. Don't overcomplicate it. Just respond to the love of God. Respond to the teaching of God. The Holy Spirit speaks authoritatively, directly from Jesus. We just read in John 16 that he said, he will speak and he will take of mine. And I have everything from the Father and he will give it unto you. He speaks authoritatively, actively, fully, and he glorifies Christ. He even speaks prophetically. He speaks of the things to come. He can organize your life in such a way, prophetically, where you are where you need to be when you needed to be there and you didn't even know what was coming. What in the world? Uh, again, we'll appeal to Martin Luther because we talked in church history this morning and we're going to have a class next year, six weeks of church history, which is very helpful. And the Gutenberg printing press came out, just happened to come out when it came out, when the Reformation started happening. And those 95 theses that, that Martin Luther nailed to the Wittenberg uh, German church door was proliferated and printed and sent all over the, the Roman Empire, Western Roman Empire. Oh, it just so happened to happen. To, to, to be there, right? Even though the Arabs had come up with movable type and a printing press hundreds of years before they're in Europe. Even though the Chinese had done it hundreds of years before, but they just never really used it. But in a sense, prophetically, God positioned the life of Luther and others to take advantage of these things 
so that God might receive his glory. If you will just let him and walk with him, God will order your steps. As Jeff Lee likes to say, these steps are ordered by the Lord. If we will allow him to do it, you will be equipped. You will be prepared right where you need to be. Don't make it hard. It's not something that we're pulling down out of heaven. It's the Holy Spirit of God within us as our teacher showing us what he wants for our lives. Isn't that good? And so I'd ask you, what's good teaching? What is good teaching? We could, we could see it in the natural. We can pull from the natural. A good teacher doesn't just speak in one way, one voice and monotone, and then you fall asleep. He, he intonates his voice a little bit so that you don't fall asleep, right? He uses examples. He uses pictures, right? He speaks to us, and it's constant. It's not just speaking to you, to you, to you. There are questions. When you ask him something, and you're in the church house, Noah, and you're seeking God in 2015, and he asks you a question. You're, you're seeking him this way, right? I'm going, at, God, what am I supposed to do with my life? I, I got married. Uh, my mom died. I've lost my house. I've lost everything. We're like drowned cats, you always like to say. And you're asking God this, this way. This is where we're going, God. And God's like, here's a question for you. And in that question, he's teaching you. That's not what I want. That's not what I hear. Like, like, that, like this, you know, Peanuts cartoon. That's not what I'm asking for. But it's what you needed, even though it might have been what you hated in the moment. But now you can look back and you can see God was ordering my steps. He was teaching me. Good teaching is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gate. That's Deuteronomy chapter 6, 6 verses 4 to 9. That was the prescription that God gave to the people of Israel on how to teach their children, that they might know him and walk in the way. And this, I, I, would, I would like to say... Is how God, the Holy Spirit, teaches us diligently. He teaches us diligently. He speaks to us when we sit down. He speaks to us when we walk by the way, when we lie down, and when we rise. In the morning when we wake up, I remember years ago, there was something going on. Even in this church, there was confusion in my mind. There was opposition to the leadership in this church. Um, I was great friends with the people who were stirring these things up. And it's like, okay, you're not the God of confusion. And one morning I woke up and I heard in my spirit, cast out the bondwoman and her son. Now those people left, they left on their own, but God was speaking to me out of Galatians of the law versus grace. And God had declared very clearly what his command was to Abram with Ishmael and Hagar, the child of the flesh, or Isaac and his wife Sarai the child of promise, cast out the bondwoman and her son. I woke up. There was zero time to think. I had not been in Galatians, but the Holy Spirit of God dropped that in my heart. He taught me as I was rising from my bed. I've gone to sleep sometimes, been overwhelmed in my heart, and I'm just praying in tongues. And I'm like, where did that come from? God is doing something within me. The scriptures say that we are built up in our inner man. He's teaching me. 
He's doing something. He's helping me. If we will just walk with him and allow him the liberty to know he is not a transactional God, but a relational God. He is not just the God who visits me when I'm in the altar. He is not just the God whom I experience in the choir of praise. He is those things, but he's not just a visitor. He is an abiding friend, an abiding teacher, constantly working in our hearts to unite them to fear God. He teaches us diligently at all times, every day. Oh, open up my eyes, oh God, that I may behold wondrous things. Open them up that I might see that you are my teacher. You are doing this work in me. I can rest in you. I can trust in you. I'm not just begging you to do this thing that I feel like I desperately need. You're already at work. I just didn't even notice it. I didn't even see it. Oh God, you are good. Oh God, I praise you. Oh God, you are mighty that even in my flailings, you rescued me and you are mighty. The Holy Spirit teaches us. He shows us the importance of hiding the word of God in our hearts, of being washed by the word of God for the purpose of teaching us. Now, I want to say this because in this church, we come from a lot of different backgrounds. The Holy Spirit speaks today. He has not ceased. He speaks. The gifts are for today. And they are not just to be tolerated. They are to be craved jealously. Like whenever there was that quiet uh, and during worship, I'm just like, oh God, you're moving right now. Bring forth prophecy, tongues, interpretation. What do you want to do? He speaks today to our own lives. We shouldn't be scared to hear his voice. Now, if you feel like you're hearing a lot of things and it sounds like, ooh, that's not scriptural, I encourage you to do what I did 15 years ago, which was, I'm tired of hearing all these things that I'm not sure are you, God. I thought I was supposed to go to Burma on this mission trip and do this other thing. Clearly, it wasn't you. I need to hear your voice. And for months and months and months and months, I heard nothing. And I'm thankful because God was teaching me how to rightly discern and hear his voice. And how do we test it? How do we know? What is that touchstone by which we check everything out? The word of God. It's like Brother Clendenin used to say, God has very little to say, or he can speak very little to the person who is not regularly in the word of God. As you know his voice here, you will be able to know and discern the voice of God that comes to you. But apart from this, you'll, you'll be... You'll be, you'll be eating angel feathers in the corner, seeking spiritual experiences on the West Coast, ending up far from the Lord, reading books and listening to people who have no right to be proclaiming the gospel of God. You can talk to this man right here. He's a West Coaster. He can tell you some crazy stuff, seeing stuff come from the ceiling. Not God, demonic. And if you look, anyway. That's enough on that point. Hallelujah. He can, God can say very little to the person who is not regularly in God's word. He is not the God of the word or of the spirit. He is the God whose word is inspired by the spirit, comes alive by the spirit. And as I read the word, I see that there's a fullness of the spirit to go into and walk in. It's perfect. It is wonderful. 
But here's the thing, we're distracted. We are very, very distracted. I was asking my wife, um, Leah, for those of you who don't know who she is, um, and I just asked her, what do you think is one of the uh, biggest distractions or impediments today, like in the culture? She said, oh yeah, social media. And what's interesting is how often that we as believers would like to somehow be like, mm-hmm, it's, that, it's, that, it's the Facebook, it's the YouTube that, that these people are getting into. Well, for you, it might be Fox News. It's, it's, it's all the same thing, whether it's TikTok, whether it's Facebook, whether it's Instagram, whatever it's whatever, whether it's your news, whether it's a newspaper, whatever it is, the culture of this day, we can pretend, like good little Christians, that it doesn't do anything to me negative. I'm just somehow above it. Those ads that are there on that new site, they don't bother me. I didn't go to look for that, but it was right there. And, oh, that doesn't bother me. Or, oh, reading this doesn't get me anxious when I read about what's happening in the world. We can pretend. But every day, dozens of tiny spiritual paper cuts happen to the heart, which work to separate us from God in some ways. Jesus said, I'm going to wash your feet. He said, well, Peter said, well, look, you know, my whole body. He said, no, 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 no. you're already clean, right? You trust in me, you're already clean. You just have need to wash those feet. Every day, we have a great need of the washing, the teaching, the unity of our hearts to be mended together because this culture, every person, that doesn't even make you a bad person and a second-rate believer. The fact that you might actually have flesh, that's a biblical fact. What do you think those fiery darts are coming at? Your flesh, right? The temptations don't come with horns. They come in whatever package we are attracted by. Now that we have that very clear paying field, we all know that we're rubbish apart from God. We're we're nothing without him. But in him, we, we are new. We can say this, you're right. My soul does get those paper cuts. And what we are, the things that most separate our heart from God can be most summed up in, what is, in whatever is on our social media feeds. Whatever the algorithm feeds me, it knows. Can I say that again? Whatever the algorithm is feeding me, it knows what I want. Or it's guessing what I want based on my age, my whatever socioeconomic status. Y'all understand. Whatever pops up on the reels, whatever. Not inter- inter- and hear me out. All entertainment or diversion is not sinful. It's not. not. Not every hobby is bad, right? We are called to enjoy life. We are called to enjoy life to a fullness that this world would look on and be like, how can you so enjoy being together and you laugh and are free and yet there's not a beer in sight? How is it that you can do that? You know, would to God that our homes would have cars backed up on the street and they're like, man, what is this wild block party? What is this noise coming from your house? Oh, the young adults came over and they're singing praises to God and we're eating chocolate chip cookies and we're talking about church history. That excites y'all? Yeah, Jesus excites me, right? Jesus excites me. It's like that, like to be able to watch a football game and to jump up and down and be excited. But to love God with that same earnestness and zeal, with a united heart. So my, my plea to you would be, find the ways that you can so enjoy 
all that God has given you. If you want a scripture on that to take home, it says that God has freely given us all things to enjoy. He's given it to us richly. You like boxing? Go, go pound on that thing, you know? Just do that. Have fun. Get your grandson over. He gets a little cocky, pops off. Give, give him a little bit. Hit him, hit him you know, just, just a little, like just a little bit, just a touch too hard in the liver, you know? Be like, oh, have fun. Wrestle with your kids. Go camping. Do these things. And even in that, God can unite your heart to fear him because you realize you're the one from whom all these blessings flow. I love you. Thank you, oh God, who gives me my children and my wife and all that I have. Unite my heart to fear you. So even when I get these blessings, I pour them out to your name. Unite my heart to fear you. Teach me every single day. And what I want to tell you is this. Not only is he a good teacher, an able teacher, a consistent teacher, a, all of this, he is a teacher who teaches with divine power. Divine power. And uh, t- Titus 2, 11 through 14, this is one that is very important and worth much study. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Training us to renounce ungodliness. Ooh, look, training. Teach my heart to fear your name. Unite it. The grace of God is for that. That is the power of the Holy Spirit to come to us, to bring salvation. I think we would all agree with that, right? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. We can all sing that. We can all believe that. But do we really trust him to go beyond just salvation and actually bring me home with victory and glory? Do we really believe that? Or is that just for the other believer? Is it just for somebody else? Wow. Yeah, you know, look at, look at Rachel Carter. She gets up there and she sings and she does reach and all of these things. And it's, it's for these, like, upper echelon people, the people with the solo mic or know a lot of scripture. The rest of that verse is for them. No, it is for you. God is that active teacher. He is all powerful and he will do it in you. What you have to do is give him your faith. He can come to you with the grace as if it were like a, a, like, like a hook and he's going to pull you and he has all the power to do it. If you would just give him your yes, and then he would bring you along by his strength and by his power right where he wants you to be in victory. If we would just trust him, give him our yes, give him our faith, the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people, we would all say amen. Training us to renounce ungodliness, worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright. This is not some hard thing. This is not something that's wrapped up so tight with a tie and starched where it can't move. That is not renouncing ungodliness and worldly passions. It's not a woman with no earrings in her ear and no makeup. I guess I'm getting to the age now where I can quote those pastors, those old-timey pastors, where they said sometimes the barn door needs a little paint. That's okay. You can enjoy your makeup. When I first got married... There's nothing sinful in it. And men, there's nothing sinful in a beard. That's man makeup. I look like an idiot without a beard, and my wife let me know that one time. 
We'd been married a couple of years, no kids. She's at work. I shaved and I was like, surprise at the door. She looked at me. She was like, oh, what am I married to? A 12 year old? This is horrible. (laughs) Did you always look like this without a beard? Yes. Now I see why you didn't have a girlfriend. Okay. Thank you. (laughs) I had to throw myself under the bus because I said that about the lady. So I'm I'm, I'm there. I put myself under you. (laughs) Put myself in the hole and lift you out. But you can even enjoy those things. There's a joy in renouncing ungodliness. There's a joy in renouncing worldly passions. When it's done by the Holy Spirit, when it's done by our own willpower and all of these things which I've described, and we craft holiness to be the certain image, and it's not God's work, you just have a, we have a pruned face and a pruned heart. It's like it's drenched in vinegar. Sure, it's preserved, but at the cost of giving this kind of a face to everyone around us, the grace of God teaches us to be upright and to live godly lives in this present age. Jesus was the most joyful one who ever lived, and he lived the most godly life that was ever lived among men. This is his doing. It is marvelous in our eyes, and there is freedom in it. And he teaches us to wait for the coming of Jesus Christ. I'm excited to be with my kids in camp and do these things. I'm excited about Christmas, but God, when are you coming? I'm looking for you because you've united my heart to fear you. I can enjoy all these things. It's not the either or. I'm enjoying life with all of its fullness and I am waiting on you. Do this in me, oh God. Oh God. And he's able to make us zealous for good works. I want to invite the musicians to come up. Don't doubt that the Holy Spirit is these things. Don't say no to the Lord. Don't do that, please. Would you, would you let him unite your heart to fear the Lord? Would you, would you release your self-effort? Now, faith has works. And it'll produce things, right? Like, if I want to unite my heart to fear Him, i got to get up. I'd like to get up a little earlier because I want to be in your word because I love you because you're uniting my heart to fear you and it builds upon itself. But let it be the work of God. Let it be done by Him. Let Him, like you're the kite and His wind comes, let out all the string of getting up early of whatever it is He's saying. Let out that string of faith that string of faith and it goes higher and higher and higher it goes up and up and up and before you know it you're flying among the clouds and you're like how did I get here because the Holy Spirit of God brought me up higher than I could ever imagine because I simply trusted him and said yes and faith can we come here today can we come here and say unite my heart to fear you in freedom and in life and in joy and have your